What's the latest, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the In the Paint Show presented by Ball is Life. Devin Ubin and Ronnie Flores on the line here from their respective homes in Southern California, still waiting out the uh, coronavirus deal like everybody else. Um, so, Ronnie, we're gonna we're gonna use today's show to uh, get everyone's panties in a bunch with uh, the debate on the best high school team of all time. Um, it's gonna be between or among four teams at 1982-83 Dunbar, 1992-93 Oak Hill, uh, 2015-2016 Chino Hills, and this past season's uh, Montbird Academy team, which went 25-0 but had their season shortened because of the coronavirus pandemic. But first, Ronnie, let's take a look at some of the bigger uh, commitments that happened within the last two days of Southern California high school basketball prospects. Zaire Williams uh, committed to Stanford. They were kind of in the lead, in my opinion, for quite some time. Um, he also had the likes of um, USC, North Carolina, Arizona, and others in the mix. And then, yes, uh, Monday, Joshua Christopher from Mayfair committed to uh, Arizona State, joining his brother Caleb um, with the Sun Devils, and he chose them over um, the likes of Michigan. I think Michigan was probably the – the other major con- uh, contender in that, but Missouri and uh, Southern California, USC, uh, were also in the mix. What, what are your what's your initial overall thoughts on those two commitments in particular, Ronnie, and how they impact college basketball and the reasons why those two gentlemen and uh, young men picked those schools? Got you. Um, I think overall, because of the status of in the state of college basketball, as you mentioned, with COVID-19, we just don't know yet what it means that they committed to those particular schools. I think for Zaire Williams, I'll start with him this year, Canyon Forward, uh, you know, great choice. He gets to be on the court plenty, gets to be even a, a go-to kind of guy as the season progresses. And, um, you know, if he indeed chooses to leave, to test the waters of the NBA at any time, like they're going to pay for his education, which right. is, who doesn't want their education paid for at Stanford. So I think that's a, a win situation. Uh, obviously he's their biggest recruit in potentially ever. He's probably their biggest wing type of recruit, you know, wing four type of recruit since Josh Childress, who's probably more of a two, three, but in Zaire probably more of a true three, but he was the twenty player. And, and Zaire's more pushing the top 10 and top five. So, uh, you know, obviously they haven't had a player like this magnitude coming in since the Mike Montgomery area. So obviously kudos to their staff. And and as far as Josh Christopher, obviously I think it would have been big news if he didn't go to Arizona State. And I just think because his brother's already there. So um, as you mentioned, Caleb, I just think that because, as I mentioned, with the flux of of, of, of guys in the transfer portal and, and those type of things. We don't exactly know what, what this means for those respective programs and, and where their stat puts them in the standing of the PAC 12 race, especially more with Arizona state. I mean, Remy Martin's testing the waters of the NBA draft. If he comes back, is he going to come back? They already got a, a grad transfer. I believe, uh, I don't know uh, his name offhand, but I know he, they, they got a quality player coming in and he's a guard as well. Mm-hmm. So they're heavy on guards. They got guards. Uh, their best players were guards last year. So, you know, um, 
remains to be seen. I think that Devin, that just goes to college basketball in general. Like, there's so many players in the transfer portal. There's guys now who want to go pro. They don't necessarily want to go to college. We got, you know, for tough, cut tough 48 hours for Juwan Howard at Michigan. He's in the mix for um, Isaiah Todd. Then he's in the mix for Christopher. And now, now coming, you know, into Tuesday of this week, he has neither player. So, you know, I guess Isaiah Todd is going to test the pro waters. What does that mean, Devin? Does it, I mean, there's no league going on right now. There's no okay. league schedule to go on right now. I mean, even the, I think the Chinese league that they had optimism that was going to be starting soon is now pushed back again. So all these guys with these grandier plans to have big time AU events and all this shit, that, that goes out the window right now. We don't know. We just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like you said, I think the these two decisions um, are pretty well-versed by both young men based on what they want to accomplish. I think they're both, you know, potential one and done talents. And Stanford offers, like you said, offers Zaire Williams a chance to have the ball in his hands, you know, as much as possible and kind of build that NBA resume. Scouts will be coming from far and wide to watch him play in the Pac-12 and beyond. Um, and then Josh Christopher's in the same boat. He, you know, those – those two expect to be one and done type players and they're both going into situations where they're going to have the most opportunity to not only, you know, be focal points of an offense, but showcase those talents at the highest level on the, on a big stage with, you know, plenty of opportunity to have the ball in their hands. Um, And they're both, you know, pretty good fits as far as style go. Um, You know, Zaire took a path uh, going to Stanford, like you said, that, once his NBA career is over or even, you know, during the summers or whatever, if he wants to go back and, and take care of uh, his degree, um, he can do that. It's going to be paid for. And he has access to a Stanford education and Stanford connections um, in, in the business world. So uh, that's a big time decision for, for Zaire. And, you know, Josh is going to, you know, be a high volume, high volume scorer, big time, you know, um, kind of like a box office kind of player like he was in high school at Arizona yeah. State. And yeah. he's going to, like like we said, it's all about fit and opportunity. And both of those both those guys uh, made decisions that, um, that are going to benefit them in the long run, I think. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Uh, Devin, isn't there been a few other um, less no, notoriety-type commitments around the state? Uh, maybe Xavier Brown at Appalachian State? <laughs> I, can't believe, I can't believe that Xavier Brown is – this yeah, I mean, he should have – a West Coast school should have should have picked him up. I mean, one of the best yeah. on-ball defenders uh, I've seen in a long time, uh, big-time athlete. Uh, yeah. you know, he's a little raw but offensively, but, you know, yeah. he, just need, he just needs a little bit of uh, uh, fine-tuning in that, in that manner, and he's going to be a high-level guard um, at Appalachian State for sure. Let me yeah. – I'll pull up my sheet, Ronnie, and see, see who else we got here. Yeah, there's a – thought there was a few other guys that it might have been noteworthy. Um, while you're doing that, we're still in the mix of uh, releasing players of the year for Cal, Cal High Sports and for nationally. Uh, look for the Mr. Basketball USA uh, tracker final one on Thursday, this upcoming Thursday. I can tell you that there's 21 guys that got votes. Very interesting. Amani Bates was named, the sophomore in Michigan, was named the Gatorade National Player of the Year as a sophomore. I'll tell you right now, he wasn't the number one vote-getter in, in, in uh, amongst the 10 guys who vote for me. 
He yeah. was number four. So just yeah, to give you an idea, you could, you, could probably, you could probably guess who are the top three guys if you think Amani Bates is four. Again, yeah. in the class. Um, so that'll look for that on ballslife.com on Thursday. Again, when we talked about these four teams and their resumes that you mentioned at the top of the show, their resumes are already on ballslife.com. So as you listen to this pod, make sure you go check out the website. There's much more detail than we can get into it in about an hour or an hour and 15 minutes. But, yeah, we're going to break down those those teams. And very interesting, Devin, you mentioned Christopher and Zaire. And, like, some they're putting themselves in position, like, to get to the next level, which is a stark contrast with, I would say, three of these teams where you had guys that were – and why they're so great is they had – you had multiple guys that are high-level D1s that, like, rode the pine and took – Took their lumps and like average four points, six points, three points a game, nine points a game. Like right. how did they do that compared to a guy, a star now? You know, uh, I think that's what. Again, besides the Chino Hills team, which basically went with five players after Andre Ball got hurt at the Max Preps Holiday Classic, they they basically roll with five guys as long as much as they can. That and that's the only team that did that. Um, the other teams had multiple guys. They even had guys in the NBA. 83 Dunbar had a guy in the NBA off the bench, and so did 93 Oak Hill. And we'll see about Montvert. They may have a guy on the bench who is in the NBA one day, which is a stark contrast for what we just talked about. Like these guys yeah. in the college portal, these you know high school stars, they want to get to the best possible position to get to the NBA as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. A couple other guys that, that – Locally, who committed recently, um, Bubakar Kulabali from San Gabriel Academy to USC. Yeah, I think that's an underrated uh, pickup by the Trojans. He's uh, he's gotten better every year. He's oh, a big yeah. guy. shot blocker, rim runner, uh, finisher on the basket, uh, high energy guy. He's going to be val- a valuable piece in the Pac-12 for four years and maybe three if if his offense you know comes along a little bit. Um, he's going to be a, a big time valuable piece. Uh, a couple of D2 commitments, uh, DJ Jackson and Bryson Stevens, both to Cal Poly Pomona. Um, I believe Atope uh, Udo Ema on our last podcast mentioned that uh, because of, you know, what's going on now and, and not being able to play club basketball as unsigned seniors, yeah. uh, their Division One potential kind of, you know, fluctuated a little bit and they decided to take a solid Division II uh, offer and run with it, uh, which, which good decisions by them. Uh, Brantley Stevenson from Etiwanda to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. He's a very good player, Ronnie. I think he had he had a really good year this year for yeah. uh, you know one of the best teams in the state. Um, I, I liked what he did. What do you make of those those few commitments there? Yeah, I I, uh, I agree with you, and I think it's smart as as their travel ball coach said on our last podcast. Uh, you know, that's what we're talking about. The guys being in flux, guys are not going to wait if they're. If they see a scholarship, they should they're really gonna take it or test it, like, hey, you guys really want me. And obviously DJ is is a really good player and uh you know took the scholarship and I don't blame him. You know, what are you gonna wait? What are we we don't know what you're waiting for? What are you are you waiting for May? Are you waiting for, you're not waiting for May? You're not waiting no. for June, it don't look like. Are you what are you waiting for? July? Well, in June, June is all high school, and then you have to be on campus. Most of the time you're on campus in June if you're an incoming freshman. So yeah. there's nothing really there was nothing really to wait for, like you said. So they made good decisions in picking a D2, uh, a really good D2 program who competes in their conference year in and year out. And I don't want to leave out any other commitments. Um 
Luke Hopp from St. Augusta down in San Diego is going to Point Loma, another good decision uh, on his part. Um, David Cheatham from LA University going to California State uh, University, Dominguez Hills. Uh, my guys over there, uh, Coach Steve Becker, I went to high school with him at Marina, and Coach uh, Sam Stapleton, they, they're doing a nice job commit, uh, recruiting Southern California. And then another San Diego commitment, Kimo Ferrari, going to the Ivy League uh, with Brown University. So, again, three more guys and three more really smart decisions. Yeah, definitely. Um, wanted to uh, mention that uh, Andre Henry going to UC Irvine was a D2 State Player of the Year. BJ Boston going to Kentucky was Cal High Sports Mr. Basketball for the state. Um, some of the lower divisions are a little different now, Devin, because of basically because of competitive equity. You know, uh, what do you make of that real quick? What do you think that should change? Um, you know, there's not going to be a Drew Holiday as like a D4 state player of the year anymore. Um, you know, and, and that's OK, but I just think it hurts. I got a lot of mention from some guys who thought their guy should have been the D1 state player of the year, right? Um, yeah. You know, they, they reached out to me, and I mentioned them, guys, there's only 11 teams in open this year in the state. Yeah. They're bunched in together, so the player of the year is B.J. Boston. And they're like, yeah, I kind of get that. So, you know, what do you make of that? And just all the good players are in D1 for the most part, and, of course, the open, the, the 11 that were able to make the open, you know? It's just and there's a few good players in D2, obviously. I don't want to yeah. change them. It's just tough, man, because we're not honoring balance. We're not honoring them in a balanced fashion, you know? See, so as far as as far as far postseason awards go, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, if you look at the competitive equity format yeah. from a playoff competitive, competitiveness standpoint, yeah. like it, it gives, you know, lower division teams a better opportunity to compete rather than having Sierra Canyon in D4 or D5, right? Because yeah. of enrollment. Yeah. So how do you how do you work out the uh, small school super team and take them out of that that division and with the transfers and the ability to I guess um, I'm gonna stay away from the R word, but lure players to yeah. different schools from out of state and whatnot. With yeah. with that becoming more prevalent. I think competitive equity is a good model um, to, you know, make sure you pull those best teams from those divisions and move them into a division where, you know, their talent level uh, is comparable to others in their division rather than like, like I mentioned, having a Sierra Canyon with the enrollment number being yeah. a D4 or D5. It just doesn't, that doesn't make sense. But for postseason award purposes, um, yeah, it, you're not going to have a Drew Holiday being a player of the year. And what, what was Campbell Hall D4 when he was there? Yeah, they, he was, they were D4. So the D4 player of the year, kind of interesting. Um, I'll go to D3's Austin Patterson of Sonora, who had a good career. Um, he was uh, the Modesto B player of the year. D4 is actually Mikey Williams. Mark liked that because Wayne McKinney of Coronado was a D4. And they actually played in the D3 sectional final in San Diego and then were slotted in D4 in state and yeah. San Ysidro won. So uh, Mikey Williams, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, he, what I mean by that is we'll see where he progresses from here. You know, is he going to be a state player of the year finalist next year? Is he going to – are they going to be in the open? You know, what's going to happen? I'm looking at Monty Bates. You know, it's just like, wow. It's, it's – uh, 
very interesting average, basically 30 points a game. I, I could see why, uh, you know, Mark liked that pick, and I'm, and I'm okay with that pick. Uh, you know, it, it's just where those, do you go from here. Where do you go from here? Yeah, it was Mikey and Wayne. Those were the two D4 finalists. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that, that makes sense. Either one of those guys would have probably been good picks based yeah. on their resumes and, you know, how they how they led their teams to, you know, deep playoff runs. Th- that makes sense. Um, before we get uh, Steve Smith on, Ronnie, let's kind of uh, kind of in- intro this Oak Hill team, the 1992-1993 Oak Hill team, Ronnie, and, uh, you know, why they are among these four teams considered, and then, then we'll, we'll welcome on Coach Steve Smith. Yeah, I think when you look at the 92 Oak Hill team, it's probably his best overall team. They can make that determination, but they have the size, Devin, that you're looking for when you're comparing to a team of right now. And then they have a great guard play with Lynn Sunshine Smith, who played at UNLV, Jeff McGinnis, who went to um, North Carolina. And, and and help that program obviously with Jerry Stackhouse and Stack Jerry Stackhouse was their best player, and he was from Kingston, North Carolina. And I think he and Steve Smith can allude to this when he gets on is that I think he wanted to play his college position or in his NBA position more, Devin. You know, and they were so physical up front, he was able to play a three or even a two if they went big, and they just rolled teams. So they played six college teams, which put you know kind of puts this in perspective. We talk about a lot of teams being able to play a college team. And then they they won the Iolani tournament. Uh, they won the St. James Invitational. And they won the, um, um, they won the uh, Las Vegas Holiday Classic, which is um, a huge, was a big tournament at that time. So let me, uh, you know, we could keep going on about it. Let's see if, uh, you know, if Steve Smith's available here in a minute and we'll uh, get him on the line, Devin. Um, but yeah, it's, they're just a really powerful team. Um, and, and I think they are in this discussion. They have a strong case as one of the. Yeah, go ahead and uh, go ahead and hit him up again, Ronnie. We'll bring him back on. I think we had a little, little bit of outside noise coming in on his, his phone. So I want to make sure that uh, we were able to hear you and then also hear him when he comes back on the line. But uh, yeah, I mean, Ronnie, like, like you mentioned, I'll go back over a little bit what, um, what you said. I mean, they had, you know, nine division one basketball players, four in the NBA, Stackhouse, McGinnis, uh, Makar, NGI, and, and Mark, Mark Blount, uh, 37.3 average margin of victory two McDonald's all Americans. I believe we got Coach Steve Smith on the line. Coach, sorry about those earlier technical difficulties, but uh, give, give us your your overall take on you know these teams considered and then your 1992-1993 team um, that's in this mix. Yeah, they're all great teams, but you know I can only speak for my team, obviously, and it's been a while. It's been 25-plus years, but uh, I remember those years well. I remember that team well, and I remember those players well. and. It's it in my opinion, it's hard to find a team uh, with the talent that we had to play the schedule that we did, um, the traveling that we did, also, you know, and go through that season undefeated. But we had one game. I think Ronnie Bally mentioned we played New York Rice in the finals in Las Vegas, uh, closest game of the year. It was the only game in single digits. We had actually played in the Iolani Classic, uh, been in Hawaii for nine days, flew straight 
to Las Vegas, did not go home for Christmas. Uh, it was like a, it was like a 14, 15 day road trip and played in, in Las Vegas as well. And we were gone from like the 16th of December, I think, to about the 31st, maybe right to New Year's Eve. So the long road trip and, uh, don't usually take my team away for Christmas, but we did that year. And the last game was the Rice game, which was the closest game of the year, which was a five-point game against Felipe Lopez. And, and, uh, they ended up, I think they were, I think they won the New York Federation, uh, state title and won the city championship and all those things that go on in New York. But um, that team that year we had was phenomenal. Um, you know, with the starting five, obviously we had guys off the bench. We had kids, we had two, three of those kids ended up going to North Carolina. Maktar Njai started at Michigan for two years and they went to the Carolina and started there for two years. But Jeff McGinnis, Jerry Stackhouse, Maktar all played at North Carolina. Uh, Jermaine Sunshine Smith played at UNLV. That's in their heyday. Alex Sanders played at Louisville and that was in Louisville's heyday. And then we had guys off the bench. Mark Blunt played 11 years in the NBA and was a backup center to Maktar. He played, uh, collegiately at Pittsburgh. Tavares Johnson was the captain at Xavier for three years, uh, starter there for three years. We had another kid, Mike Britton, who played at Memphis, and uh, Jason Thomas played at Ole Miss. Uh, those guys all came off the bench, so it was a phenomenal team. Coach, um, you know, you mentioned nine guys, one, four in the NBA, but how did you get to nine? Like, did, were you expecting a little more guys in the preseason? Did you run some guys off? Did You know, what happened? where you had a smaller group than maybe you normally do? Well, we had, I mean, it's, it's a typical Oak Hill team where you have a lot of talent. Um, and some years you have more than others, obviously. And, you know, that year was, we started, uh, Jeff McGinnis was here the year before as a junior. He was our point guard. His best friend, AU partner, was uh, Jerry Stackhouse, obviously. He also had uh, Jason Cables on that team and, Tavares Johnson played on that team who played for us. So he, he had some Oak Hill connections there. And that's how Jerry matriculated to Oak Hill. Jerry wanted to get away from Kinston, North Carolina. People were tugging on him in the recruiting wars. And, you know, people tell him to go to NC State. At that time, it was NC State in Carolina for him. He visited Wake. Uh, I'm just trying to think of all the schools he visited, mostly ACC schools. But his mother wanted to get away from all that. And uh, that's why Jerry came to Oak Hill. And didn't it didn't hurt that Jeff was here, obviously, and they played, like I say, AAU together. So, but just a typical year for Oak Hill. But you know, it was, it, with the talent we had that year, they just they were more physical. Um, I tell people they were like a full-grown men team. They were like a college team out there. We did play college teams, as Ronnie said earlier. We played six college teams. A couple of reasons. One reason we can't get any home games at that point in the early nineties. Nobody wanted to play at Oak Hill because they knew they couldn't win. And uh, so we brought in some college teams, and we played We played them before our high school schedule. We were 6-0 and against college teams, and then we went on and played our high school schedule the rest of the season and, and uh, were undefeated against those guys as well. Yeah, Coach. Um, obviously, tell us a little bit about that. What do you guys think? Now, I know, you're, I know Jeff, and Jeff is really confident in a lot of things he does, obviously. Did you did the coach did the player say what we're gonna play at college or was it like what we expected like yo we're gonna beat them no problem coach you know what what did what happened there yeah I mean we 
<laughs> it's interesting. Cause we're we're located down in the southwest part of Virginia, so it's we're near the Tennessee border, the Kentucky border. We're a mile from the North Carolina border, but we're still in Virginia, so we have that geographic region to pull from. And we there's a lot of colleges, small colleges in the area that are Division two, II, Division three, NEI, and um, we scrimmaged them in the past, uh, and we decided that year to play them because we were so strong. We I don't think any of them even competed with us. We we beat most of them by 20, 30 points and beat a couple by 40 or 50 points. So um, I didn't want to give us a false, you know, I didn't want the guys thinking, oh, we can beat college teams, high school teams, it's not going to be a problem. But I just thought that would be good competition for our guys going into the season. We played most of them in, in October. And once our high school season rolled around, um, you know, we, we, we took that into consideration and played that schedule. We did a lot of traveling that year. Like I said, we had a 12 to 15 day road trip to Hawaii and Las Vegas. Uh, we played in the St. James Invitational as well. We played over in Kentucky two different times and uh, tried to play the best schedule we could. Gotcha. Um, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, was St. John's Prospect Hall like the best team you guys played? Did you think Rice was or did Rice just do the toughest team? What do you kind of remember about that? I, I think that year, I mean, with Felipe, you know, he was a, he was a phenom in New York. And uh, they had a big reputation. They actually were in Hawaii with us as well. So they traveled that whole time with us. And we figured we'd play them in Hawaii. They got upset in Hawaii by Jock Vaughn. If you remember Jock, he played for the Jazz and a few other NBA teams. But now he's a coach. But uh, Pasadena Muir was that team. They upset them in the semis. So we didn't get to play them there. And we got to Vegas. And uh, they were in the opposite bracket. It's, I don't know if you remember, but at that time, there was like 50 to 60 teams in that tournament. You'd have to win six to seven games. But we ended up meeting in the finals, and uh, they were they were a really, really talented team. They had Reggie Freeman, uh, big, like a 6'6 six, six point guard that went to Texas and played. Um, they were very talented. The best coach team was, um, obviously, was um, Prospect Hall with Stu Vetter. He was a great coach, friend of mine, um, fellow Nike coach. We had played them in the finals in Hawaii and beaten them uh, and then played them again in the St. James tournament. But they were strong. They had uh, Tariq Turner, uh, Curtis Staples. Uh, they had a couple other kids that were high-level Division One players. And they were, they were, they were very good. You know, I, I was worried about them because we played them the last game of the year in, in Maryland. Of course, you got all that pressure because you've got an undefeated season on the line. But uh, our guys responded and won that game handily. Gotcha. I think we have Jess McGinnis on the line. Jess McGinnis, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How you doing? Great. Thank you for calling in. We appreciate your time. Coach McGinnis, you Smith said you were kind of the ringleader a bit, trying to get a couple of these guys to Oak Kill you play with them on the on AU ball. So talk a little bit about uh the chemistry you guys had and how why it worked so well. Um, I think because we, we were a tight-knit group, we stayed in the gym so much. I think we played so much. We ate together. You know, we, we walked around campus together. We were a tight group. Um, we all liked each other. We liked playing for each other. So I think that made it hard for teams to beat us. Um, no matter what they had, the environment, we knew we, we was going to come in. And, you know, we represented what was on the front of our jersey, Oak Hill. And we knew what it meant. And we wasn't going to let teams beat us. And that's just how we felt. Makes sense. Uh, Coach McGinnis, you, now you you talk a little bit about your 
what you're doing now, you're coaching at Combine Academy. You, you Now you're coaching again, your coach. And uh, just talk about that coming full circle and uh, just what kind of experience that was on that from the coaching end. Uh, for me, um, coaching um, at Combine, it was just, I always been coaching and I wanted to be a coach. But, you know, this is my first year in coaching high school. Um, and I just wanted to put the best schedule for my guys to get better. It's about the kids, not about me. So I just wanted to play the best schedule for my kids so they can get seen and go to college and reach some of their goals. But, you know, playing against Coach Smith, it was like a dream come true for me to be playing against Oak Hill. Uh, we played them twice this year. And just to coach against Coach Smith, for me, it was just unreal. You know, I, I took a lot of pictures. My people took a lot of pictures for me. And, you know, I got a lot of pictures, um, you know, at my house of me and Coach Smith uh, coaching him on one end, I'm on the other end. It was just for me, it was a dream come true. And um, we, we luckily beat him one time, then they blew us out the second time. So for uh, for me, it was just good, man, to, to coach against him. And it was just like a dream come true, like I said, man. It was it was surreal, like, you know, for me. I, I won either way. If we lost the game, I would have won either way. I need some of those pictures. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got you, coach. <laughs> now, this is question is uh, for Jeff. What what lineup do you remember thinking? Obviously, you guys had your starting group with Sunshine. Talk a little bit about working with Sunshine, but then what lineup worked well, or what what combination you think worked well? And it, everybody played their college position. So, were you able to funnel guys toward Magtar? Like, hey, you know, Magtar's going to stop that, or did you just try to create turnovers all the time? You know, what was your strategy defensively? You know, Magtar was our. He was a guy at the rim. I mean, he blocked shots and rebound and didn't care if he scored. He did all the dirty work and, uh, you know, helped us. And Mark Blount was a sophomore. Mark ended up being a better player than Maktar down the line. He played in the NBA like 11 or 12 years, but he was just a sophomore. So we brought him off the bench. And, uh, of course, two, I call two, Jeff McGinnis is Touche to me. He, that was his nickname, and I still call him Touche to this day, 25 years later. But, Tuesday was our point guard. Sunshine was a point guard from New York, but we kind of moved him to the two-guard spot, and uh, he was our defender. He he would guard the best guard on the other team, and we played mostly man-to-man. We didn't have to Mickey Mouse and mix it up like sometimes you do with teams that don't want to play defense, but this team just got down and, and guarded people. Of course, Stack was our three-man. Then we had two power forwards with uh, – they were interchangeable. You could start either one, but Tavares Johnson played on the AAU team with with Touche and and Stack. And um, but we started Alex Sanders, and uh, he was a kid from Houston, Texas. Played with Houston Hoops, and uh, both those guys were interchangeable. It didn't matter who you played; they were they were equally as good as each other. And, and I don't know many teams that have two guys like that, but we had we had a lot of depth on that team. Yeah, that makes sense, Coach. Um, I got, I was talking to a couple of the Muir guys who live in Southern California. They remember yeah. the game um, that you guys played them. And they said, well, I'm so worried about Alec. He's so strong. And Maktar's so big. Like, we couldn't even worry about Jerry. He was at the guard. We couldn't do anything with him because we had to rebound and try to try to do something up front on the boards and, and, and slow down the big guys. So, to me, it seems like Jerry could just either freelance, jump the lane. Uh, you know, kind of a, a you know, be a, a a playmaker. He didn't have to per se. You guys could gamble a bit, is that basically with those big guys back there? Is that kind of what you remember? Yeah, we could. I mean, we of course as the coach, you don't want to gamble, but we could make up some mistakes on the back line with with, with Mac Carr, Jerry. Jerry was a full grown man in high school. I mean, he was. 
I mean, he played the three at Oak Hill, and he played the Touche. I'll tell you, he played the four some at North Carolina, but he played the three for us, and he was a man in high school. You could not guard him down low. He could score inside, outside. Um, of course, then you had Tavares, you had Alex, you had Maktar. I remember playing Pasadena Mural with Jock Vaughn, and you know he he and Touche had a battle. Um, you know, they were the top two of the top three point guards in the country, I think, at the time, but. Uh, they didn't have the horses to play with, with the guys we had behind Touche, and we knew that, and I think I think Touche knew that too. So, um, but Jock did. Jock Jock's a good player. He was a great player, but he couldn't match. His team could not match up with our team. Gotcha, Jeff. What is your most fondest memory on the court, and and then what is your most fondest memory off the court? Uh, at Oak Hill, just um, probably just uh, being there with my brothers. Uh, uh, probably like uh, just going undefeated the season we went undefeated I mean we worked so hard to do it and we achieved it the year that Coach Smith said we played some tough games uh, I don't think people realize the Kentucky the Kentucky games and just playing that tough schedule we went to a, a lot of tough environments um, in Ohio um, I just remember Paducah Tillman just some of the schools that we had to go play um, you know my regular high school couldn't go beat those teams and they were regular high schools so we played a tough schedule, and so we went undefeated that year. And I always say it, Rashi Wallace, I, I claim the fame that Simon Grass ducked us that year. They didn't want to see us. So uh, you can tell Rashi Wallace, yeah, they ducked us that year. They did not want to play us. So, um, you know, USA, they had them number one, and another poll had us number one, and they didn't want to play us. So Rashi remember that story. So, And my off the court, just, just being at Oak Hill, I think it taught me – it made me a man quicker. It made me go to North Carolina and – and survive and learn how to be a man. And Coach Smith taught us a lot of stuff about not other basketball, but just like I said, having your business off the court. So, and then I think if you look, a lot of dudes who take the lesson, they go to the NBA and they they, they have good futures in their life. Appreciate the insight, uh, Jeff, and I really appreciate the insight, Coach. One last question, Coach. Uh, on one to ten, what is your chances? Ten being the best that you could beat those other three teams mentioned in Chino Hills. Uh, you know, Mont Verde and Dunbar. I'm a little biased, but uh, I, I just thought we had the best team ever. I mean, in my opinion, with the depth, with the uh, the physicality of that team, I, I can't see those teams beating us. I think Dunbar would have been the better team, um, not better than we are, the best team to compete with us. Um, you know, we played Chino Hills a couple times. Obviously, I think a couple years before, Maybe junior and senior year when when uh, the Ball Brothers were there and we we won both those games. I don't think they could have beat us, uh, not in our style of play and the way we defended that year. And I don't think Montverde. I mean Montverde was good this year, but uh, I, I just don't think they could either. So I, that's just my opinion. But like I said, I'm biased. All right, fellas. Thank you guys for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks, gentlemen. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Okay. Ronnie, it was good to it was good to have uh, Coach Smith. You know, he he usually plays center field on these things, um, and it was good to have him. You know, you know, really get behind his squad and and sure. say that he could beat all three of those teams. Um, our next guest is going to be Herman Harry, the the uh, Dunbar coach at eleven thirty in, in a couple couple minutes. Here, um, he's going to come on, and I mean that's one of the teams that I'm most interested in learning about. 
Um, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners don't really know a whole lot about that team. Um, sure. Some do, but a lot of them probably don't. So, Ronnie, give us a little bit of background on um, what that team was all about and, and what made them so special. Yeah. Just so you know, uh, Coach Harry was a uh, reserve on that team. And he was a oh, sixth or bad, seventh. Bad, bad, bad. Yeah, he was a sixth or seventh man. Gotcha. And um, he's a player, you know. Uh, yeah. He's going to give us the player perspective, kind of like Jeff. And, uh, you know, the great thing about it is in 82 season, they went undefeated. And they played uh, uh, the team that was the national champions in 82, Calvert Hall, at the end of the 81 season. And they lost in a, like a – dramatic trip overtime game. So everybody expected them to play. They were the top two teams in the country and they didn't make the game happen. They just couldn't make the game happen. So Reggie Williams, who went off to Georgetown, was a junior. Muggsy Bogues, who's the smallest player ever in the NBA, was a yep. junior starter. And they had uh, Gary Graham, who was a senior, who went to Georgetown. And they had David Wingate, who played a long time in the NBA, was the other guard. So they had three guys coming back and a strong bench. Now, obviously, we didn't – as time goes by, you realize how strong that bench really was. I mean, it's right. ridiculous. They have 11 D1 guys, and they had, they had 13 players. Basically, 11 had D1 ability, and, you know, uh, they had four NBA players, if you count Wingate from the year before, and then they had uh, three – Guys who were coming back that playing in the NBA, one off the bench, Reggie Lewis, who will get uh, that's what we really want to talk to Coach Harriet about, who's now the coach at Lake Clifton High in Baltimore. He coaches with USA basketball. He played for Bayheim at Syracuse. Is how that bench worked. I just don't think Devin in today's game, that bench would work exactly the way it does them. Wow. Yeah, go play somewhere else and get off, you know? Yeah. They had 13 guys in the roster, you said. You there? Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, yeah, I said uh, there's 13 guys on the roster and 11 basically play D1. That's crazy because a guy like Rich Lewis come off the bench, that's not going to happen in this day and age of high school sports. Yeah. To transfer to another school and start and get as many shots and minutes as he wants. That's that's a, ra that's a rarity in, in this day and age. Yeah, we're talking a little bit about that. You know, Herman ended up being a top 100 player as a senior the next year. They had Mike Brown who, who started. Uh, so, you know, he was a top 100 player as a, uh, as a junior, he was kind of like a, uh, a three slash two, but he actually had to play, you know, up front because Keith James was their starting two guard. He kind of like Sunshine Smith for Oak Hill. He ended up at UNLV. So they had a, a true five day, true good starting five. They just didn't have that size. That one guy, like a Mac Tarangi or Mark Blunt. Or a guy they like Dayron Sharp on yeah. this Montverde team, but it didn't matter. I don't know. You know, they can run, they can press, they can really play D. They had depth. They didn't worry about foul trouble. Um, they had scoring. I think that the thing that stands out is similar to Jerry Stackhouse. Reggie Williams was their go-to score, uh, even though they had depth. He averaged twenty-three point four points a game. He went over. 20 points, I think 22 times in 31 games. So, like, he they went to him to score. He was the right. best player in the country, at worst, second best player in the country with Pearl Washington, the guard from New York who went to Syracuse, too. And But they got it. I think the main thing that sticks out about them is that they didn't let up at all when they went to the bench, and they never let up against any opponent. So 
Going back to 82, they were undefeated, but they didn't play that schedule, Devin. So I think Coach Bob Wade mm -hmm. said, you know what? We need to get in a few more tournaments. We need to challenge our guys. You know, we want to be the number one team in the country. And they started out preseason number one and they ended number one. So I think the 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 expectations and the uh and 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 the the Try to get them to play at that level was always there from the beginning. It wasn't something that built over the season like Chino Hills. It was something that was there from the beginning. People expect them to be good, and I guess they played as good as they could or even better if that's possible. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll see what Herman has to say. But, yeah, very, very interesting time. Uh, national rankings were just coming into the forefront or to the in, in high school ball, and I think that team helped push those forward with obviously that was the first year USA Today had rankings and it's just very interesting you know I want to know about like I'm sure you do and like their practices how did how did that go you know similar to what Steve Smith said I guess that year they didn't have a lot of guys and he didn't necessarily need a lot of guys well this team had a little more players and like you know I'm interested to find out did they get some guys you know uh that just couldn't play and said, I'm going to another school and average 15 points at another school. Or, you know, did they have to cut anybody or did their team already know it was set? You know, I'm kind of interested in, in, in finding that out. So, yeah. I mean, what do you think is most interesting about that, Devin? Um, I'm more interested in the history of, of, you know, what Muggsy Bogues was like in high school. What, you know, Reggie Lewis, how, how is it possible for a guy of that stature to, to yeah. come off the bench and accept that role? Something I'm interested in. And just kind of uh, maybe you know the answer to, to this, uh, the scene, the Baltimore high school basketball scene and how all those those guys, I know uh, it was a magnet school, right? Yeah. So maybe they were able to kind of uh, pick and choose some some certain guys that they were able to draw into that that program. But what was the rest of the Baltimore, I guess, Baltimore and then like, you know, D.C. area high school basketball scene? What was it like back then? Yeah, I think it was really competitive. Like I said, the – national number one team the previous year was Calvert Hall, which is like in Townsend, Maryland, which is suburban in Maryland. They're right there. So there was always this battle, like who was the better team and, you know, which team had, you know, the, the 80, 82 Calvert Hall team definitely played a better schedule than um, Dunbar did. And I think that's what prompted the Dunbar staff to say, Hey, we need to get in a bigger tournament. So they went to Kentucky okay. They went up to the Johnstown tournament in Pennsylvania where they played a New York and Ohio team. Um, Oak Hill won that Vegas tournament, as we as Steve Smith mentioned, and uh, Calvert Hall had won that tournament in 82. So, you know, it was – it was uh, they were expected to be good. There's no doubt. I mean, did people expect them to, you know, have three NBA players win by 36 and a half points? I don't know about that. Right. You know, that's what's interesting about these teams is Montverde's winning by 39 points a game. Oak Hill's winning by 37 points a game. Dunbar's winning by 36 and a half points a game. It's like they're not even they're not playing down to the competition. They're just either that good or they're just not having any moments off. I don't know. I guess that's what separates a great team from a, a very good team, so to say, you know, that they just don't yeah. take no moments off. Yeah. One of the interesting things about the earlier teams on this list is, um, you know, traveling and playing out of state. It was not quite as easy as it, it might be this year as, you know, yeah. air travel has become a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. Uh, you know, charter buses have, you know, kind of streamlined things post air travel. 
Um, and uh, yeah, I think when I weigh these teams against each other, that has to hold some weight, you know, on, on yeah. Oak Hill traveled to Hawaii and Vegas on, you know, back-to-back tournaments yeah. in 1992, 93. That's, that's difficult. Um, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, you know, I think the people, there's this mis, misnomer that, uh, oh, teams didn't travel back in the day, you know, 30, 20 years ago, especially 40 years ago with Dunbar and eh, Teams have been traveling. The best, best teams have been traveling to Vegas. They've been going to the King of the Bluegrass that's in Kentucky. Um, you know, they they teams traveled. Now maybe they don't play game in, game out like they do now, but they they definitely traveled. So, you know, okay. it looks like we're gonna try to get Coach Herod on the phone now. And hopefully, uh, you know, he can give us some more of that insight that we're we're, we're seeking. So you know, it's 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 a great debate, and we hope our last three guests really get into it, like like Coach Smith did. So, um, you know, uh, do you think? Hey, real quick, do you think anybody anybody thought Muggsy Bugs, uh, what five three, five four point guard in the eighties was was going to be a long time NBA player? I mean, honestly, my first at reaction, but I think you know he was nationally ranked. Just to be nationally ranked at his size, yeah. I think he changed that game for them with their team MVP because he could just pressure the ball. I mean, teams were just befuddled against Dunbar. They much less beat him. They couldn't even get into an, a flow of offense. He was just everywhere. Yeah. You know, you, you look at Lonzo Ball, and you saw most of his games. He's averaging 5.1 steals per game, and Muggsy was averaging seven steals per game. So you can yeah. imagine oh, what he did. That's insane. That's insane you know, defense. I mean, so forget beating them up front or out slowing down Reggie Williams. You couldn't even get the ball up. Right. You know, right. like if that guy was good in the ACC and he's a pretty good NBA starter, how good was he in high school, Devin? Right. I mean, it's well, just, let's, let's find out because I think we have Mr. Harry on the line. Do we got you, sir? I'm here. How's everybody doing? Doing well, man. How are you? I'm making it. I'm making it. So take us back. Take us back to uh, to that squad and kind of. Give us your your fondest memories and what what made your team that year so good. Uh, started with our leadership from our coach, of course, being able to manage that type of talent, and of course, getting everyone to understand our ultimate purpose, and that was uh, to win and be successful. And when you went to Dunbar, you went there to play as a team member anyway, so you knew what to expect. So it wasn't very difficult for us to blend and uh, achieve the things we did. Gotcha. Coach, I'm, we're interested in, you have 13 guys, 11 have D1 ability. Did you guys have a, a tryout? Did maybe 15 or 30 guys try out? What were tryouts like in the early practices? How did you, did you have to weed guys out or was it already kind of set that, that those 13 guys are probably going to make the team? Well, of course you had, you had an idea of what top players were in the school, but you know, legally you have to hold tryouts. And, you know, I always believe myself and have a trial stage. Sometimes you may find a diamond in a rough. Yeah. So uh, we did have tryouts, and we probably would have 45 to 50 kids in there trying out, if not more. And then from there, you know, everything dwindled down, and the numbers took care of itself. Makes sense. Um, now, you're, you guys open the season, and the starters are established. So you guys play in the tip-off tournament. Now, you play Southern. And you don't score, 
But then against Southwestern, you score 11 points. <laughs> and, the next game, and then the next game, you maybe score two points. Then you're back to 10. As a young man, 17 years older, how did you deal with that, 16, 17 years old? How did, how did you deal with that, and how did the other guys on the bench deal with that? Well, for myself, going there, you knew you you had a place. You had a you, so you had to wait for your place. So that was my junior year. So knowing Reggie and Muggs and Tim Dawson and Reggie Lewis, you know it was already known those guys are going to play. So do I make the choice of sitting my junior year gotcha. or going to my junior year? And the only place to be at that time was Dunbar. There was other places. If you was a basketball player and you wanted to go to school, and you wanted to play a national schedule, the only place that was doing that was down by high school. So I didn't mind waiting my time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my senior year, of course, that obviously changed. But my junior year, I didn't expect to play a lot. And fortunately, we had a lot of large margins where everybody had a chance to play. But I knew if there were certain games where they were, you know, pretty tight, you know, those upper class guys was going to get their minutes. So I just basically I embraced my role my junior yeah. year, and then my senior year my role changed. Yeah, that's that's kind of a, a different, um, you know, outlook than what we have in the current state of high school basketball, where you know kids are looking for early playing time, you know, as, as many shots as possible, as many minutes as possible. Um, was that something that was instituted uh, via? coaching you know it's a it's kind of a a pecking order that you know you come on this team you realize that uh you're not going to be the man right away but if you work and you continue to to progress you could potentially be the man down the line was that more of a a a coaching thing that was instilled throughout the program it was a coaching thing and it was a society thing and i I always direct about this thank god during my era of playing we had just parents or just guardians this era you have, I call them aged parents. Not all, but majority. I call them parents. <laughs> they are representatives of their kids. They're right. not parents of their kids. And thank God that era, we just had parents. Like my mom didn't have a clue about basketball. My dad was a working class man. He didn't have a clue about basketball. So they were just happy that their son was doing something constructive. Mm-hmm. But they weren't making deals behind my back. They wasn't making, they wasn't Relying on me to make it in life and go professional because, you know, they made, they took care of us. So it's just a different era of parenting now where you have more business parents, more representative parents. And back then we just had parents. Sure. Um, coach, that makes sense. Cause you're coaching now. And, um, you know, do you think that this team bottom line, do you think that this team can work out now if it was playing nowadays or it just a couple guys would transfer a couple guys would, or is Bob Wade's personality, you'd want to play for him and stay with him? I would want to stay with him. I'm not saying that all 13 would have stayed because, like you said, this is the era of it's about me only. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, I think some of these parents may not have allowed their child to be the 13th man. The kid might have wanted to stay, but I don't think a lot of these parents or family members or whoever is handling these kids would have allowed them to be the 13th person on the team. Um, so I, I'm not sure if it could have worked. I know Mr. Wade, Coach Wade could have managed us this time, uh, but I don't think the parents would have allowed him to manage it right during this time. Uh, understood. 
And that's a great point. I, I, I kind of concur with that. It's, it'd be very difficult. Now, you guys, there was a lot of talk of, of Calvert Hall and you guys. They, they were very mm -hmm. good in 82. You guys were good in 82. Did you guys look and say, okay, we're going to go play up here in Pennsylvania and we're going to go play up here in Kentucky and show everybody how good we are? Were you guys kind of looking forward to that as young men, not maybe not leaving Baltimore much? Hey, we're going to go travel and we're going to show the country how good we are. I know, honestly, I don't think we had to prove to anybody how good we were because everybody knew how good we were. We were a nationally ranked team. We had the best players, even though, if you want to say Calvert Hall had a good run, the key word I, I say had a good run for a period of time, Dunbar had runs. So it wasn't nothing new for Dunbar to have very, very good teams. Thank God yeah. this nationally ranked team was a whole different story. But us having good teams was nothing new. It was new for Calvin Hall having good teams, but it wasn't new to us at all. Got you. Now, Coach, you guys go up to the Johnstown tournament. Uh, Reggie's in, in in serious foul trouble. Reggie's obviously your, your big scorer. And and you guys are playing a team from New York with Kenny Hutchinson. They're, they're, it's a close game, your only close game. You kind of recall that game. And what, what, what did Reggie Lewis do? He was able to get nine points, 11 rebounds. He's named the tournament MVP. How, just how was he ready in that moment? And what do you remember about the foul trouble and, and him stepping up? He was always ready. He just had, you know, some other people that may have, you know, played in front of him or gotten more time. But it wasn't like he had to get ready. He was always ready. Like Reggie Wayne, Reggie Lewis would have started any other high school in the country. He chose to take that role at Dunbar knowing that he still could be successful in that role, which he was very smart about it. Um, but it wasn't like he had to get ready. He just took advantage of the opportunity of getting more playing time and show people that he may have could have easily been a starter as well. But he was always ready. Got it. Got it. And, you know, you, you guys were always prepared. You guys um, finished and played up to potential every game. Um, just on a scale of 1 to 10, some of these other great teams, how confident 10 being the most are you that your team would beat any other team from any other era, including the other teams we're talking about today? I, I have no doubt in my mind because we trained at a level that I very doubt that anyone trains at. And I've taken that training mentality and implemented in my basketball program as well, because a lot of talented players don't want to work. A lot of coaches are afraid to have their talented players work because they may go somewhere else where it's easier for them. Coach Wade wasn't afraid to make us work. And with that being done, I knew and we knew no matter who we played, no matter how good they may have thought they were, we put more work in than anyone else did. Gotcha. Coach Harry, we appreciate the time. Um, always always look forward to get getting knowledge from old school guys who went through the, the old school way. We appreciate your time. There's no problem at all, but you still haven't decided who's the greatest team of all time. We're we're, we're gonna we're gonna announce it at the end so that people listen to the whole podcast, man. We gotta yeah. get views up. Yeah. Because we know the answer to that. So whenever you're ready to get that answer, I can justify why Dunbar was the greatest team of all time. I could justify okay. that. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll hit you back up. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care, y'all. Stay safe, man. All right, you too. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right, Ronnie, it's always always good to get a get a take from an OG because they they don't hold anything back, you know. Yeah, that's his take. I mean, 
he's like you said, we want to say, well, you know, what made Reggie Lewis tick? Well, he's shit. He's just ready. And I know there's no secret to it. I mean, I, I, I can appreciate that. Um, you know, they do do have legendary uh, following. People know their background. If you want to know more about them, there's a book, Baltimore Boys, and, and then 30 for 30, if you yeah. people out there see it, talks about them running with holding bricks, how uh, Taskmaster uh, Bob Wade was, who went on to become the first African-American coach in the ACC at Maryland a few years later. Um, you know, he he did a great job with that group. I, I don't see how you – I mean, they played up to potential every game. Now, and maybe uh, Coach Harry didn't remember the details. I kind of wanted to see what happened in that – game where Reggie Williams got in foul trouble. But I, but I think that King High in New York was just a good team. So um, that team only had one single-digit game. Uh, the Oak Hill team only had one single-digit game. And Birdie had one single-digit game against IMG. But the team we're going to talk about now, Devin, Chino Hills, they had a little different run and a little different way they got to this level. It wasn't yeah. just one one-point one single digit game. They want some close games and they kind of built the momentum. They didn't have that momentum that Dunbar had or that stature at the beginning of the season. It built, it built, it built, it built. Why don't you talk a little bit about that, Devin, and what you recall and what and yeah. how it built to number one? I think the reason why, Ronnie, that team didn't have that have the same stature immediately was because yeah. uh, it was a public school, right? I mean, yeah. you didn't know how, how good Elon Scott was outside of Southern California. People didn't know how good Big O was outside of you know Southern California or, yeah. or the when he was a freshman. Yeah. Uh Lola Ball was a five ten, you know, shooting guard and no one knew how his skill set would translate to that level, but it obviously did. And they won they went 35 and 0. Um Fab 50 number one team on City of Palms against, you know, they played they played everybody. They, they scheduled yeah. everybody and they beat everybody. They won a southern section in open division um state titles. So I mean that that resume speaks for itself, and we have we have the man himself who was, um, <laughs> I guess, the mastermind behind behind the whole deal. Um, <laughs> former head coach of you know, Hills High School, coach, how you doing, sir? Excellent. How about you guys? Hanging in there, trying to hopefully we get back in the gym soon, man. Oh, man, everybody I think is dying, and so uh, just gotta keep doing those home workouts, right? The the stationary dribbling and the pivots. Exactly. I think we're going to be <laughs> maybe maybe we'll be more fundamental when we come out of, out of this uh, quarantine. But uh, take us back, Coach, right. to the beginning of that that storied season. What were you, what was your initial thought about that mm -hmm. makeup of the team? And did you think that thirty five and zero was a possibility? Yeah, you know um, when we lost to uh, Modern Day um, Lonzo's sophomore year. Uh, in the open division finals and to see that team, that modern day team end up either one or two in the nation. And then because we were so close to beating them, uh, somebody had ranked us, I don't know, pretty high, like 13th or 15th in the nation at the end of the year. And that made me think, wow, we can do something special. And um, so the following year, Lonzo's junior year, we were thinking that that was going to happen. And, um, we ran into some, you know, tragedies, not, uh, Onyeka's older brother, uh, dying in that skateboarding accident, um, and just not having the season that we wanted. And the way it ended, it, um, in the state finals where we lost Lonzo fouls out, 
we had, if, if that never happened, I don't think we would have had the hunger to go on a run like this. And so it just gave us that sense of urgency, Lonzo's senior year, to not take anything for granted. And, um, you know, it, 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 I mean, all these different factors came into play, you know, like uh, right after Lonzo's junior year, City of Palms calls and says, you know, we would like to invite you. And, you know, they gave us the opportunity to, you know, potentially play, you know, Montvert for, you know, the chance to be number one. So I, when I spoke with their director, uh, Donnie Wolke, you know, just to have that opportunity was amazing. And so I, you know, I went to the guys and said, Hey, we got an opportunity where we could just stay local and pretend and, you know, have a chance to go undefeated and, or we could go ahead hunt and, um, you know, really just claim, you know, uh, have every right to be, you know, number one in the nation. And so, you know, this was all just the kind of like, just uh, hope for the best type of scenario talk. Uh, but it was amazing going out, going throughout that year, just one by one, one went after the other and just how it just came, you know, into more of a reality for us. And so that was kind of a general, uh, you know, uh, review of kind of how that all happened. Um, coach, you know, the other three teams we're talking about here, they all had one close game and, and mm -hmm. they, they were pretty dominant. Now you guys had a couple overtime games. You guys won a couple close ones by, by mm -hmm. a hair. Now right. uh, somebody who's from looking at it from the outside will say, well, that's a, de a demerit, a detraction. How did that work mm -hmm. in your favor though? You know, later, how, how did that, how was that a positive? Sure. Well, the, you know, some of the overtime games, um, the first one against Patrick school, I mean, if we make our free throws, you know, that, that game doesn't go into overtime and they're, they were really good. They could have beat us, you know, they, they were a very talented team, well coached. But if you look at the end of that game, you know, we're talking about, you know, I think we have four free throw opportunities and we miss all four down the stretch and then it goes into overtime. Um, and then one of, you know, another game, you know, like the, the way we scheduled was brutal. You know, we play, you know, Foothills Christian three times um, and, and, and uh, you know, uh, Bishop Montgomery two times, you know. And so, um, yeah, I think that and then what other game did you see over time? Let me see. I think, man, the Montverde went into overtime. Um, you Montford might... almost went into overtime. Gotcha. The mom, yeah, that was regular uh, regulation, and so Patrick School. I think that's the only one I see overtime. But we had a handful of games. You're right that we um, won by you know one point. So we're playing Foothills Christian after beating them um, in in the Centennial Tournament, the Battle Zone Tournament. We play them in this just this random showcase game um, at Sierra Canyon. And our guys are beat up. Even our first time we play Bishop Montgomery, that may have been like our third or fourth game that week um, in, on, a, on a Saturday. And, you know, Lonzo's banged up. He's feeling sick. And, you know, it, it just, you know, for us to go throughout that year and, and come out on top every single game was, I mean, it was just – it was gut wrenching at times, you know, and, you know, for it to kind of just uh, fall in our favor the way it did, it was just kind of, a, I, I, I can just look back and just be in awe, 
you know, how it all transpired. Because one of those losses, one shot going down, I don't think we talk about, you know, we're not, we're not on the phone call today, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Steve, mm-hmm. mentioned how, you know, your schedule was crazy. You played, you know, top echelon talent across the country. What's most, mm-hmm. most amazing about that, you beat all those teams and, you know, you had six guys playing basically all the minutes. Um, what, right. What was it like playing at that breakneck pace and, mm-hmm. and you know, most of the guys not coming out of the game? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I tell you, the, you know, out of all four teams, which I have tremendous respect and it's just, you know, humbling to be even considered in this. I think we're the one team that's the most unique mm-hmm. out of the four. And, um, you know, you talk about, you know, just how unique it was to have, you know, three brothers. And, you know, if you look deeper, you know, we only had two guys with varsity experience, which was Lonzo and Jello. Eli, uh, Onyeka, and Mello, this was their very first time playing varsity basketball. And so we we made a decision, you know, to do what we were going to be the best at, which was definitely go this breakneck breakneck style uh, press and then fall back into our two, three. And um, that style allowed us to keep these guys in. Um, you know, it allowed Lonzo to be, you know, at his best to make reads and to, you know, not have to, you know, be on the ball, um, you know, full court. It kind of allowed him to just maybe catch his breath in the back, you know, back line. And, you know, put him in a position where he can help make reads and rebound. And, you know, you talk about, you know, not having to outlet, you have our best you know, player, you know, as our best rebounder, having, you know, that advantage, you know, to not have that outlet and, you know, to make a play for us. That, that was, you know, our formula to success right there. And, um, you know, it, it, it was our advantage not having to sub, you know, as well. I mean, we, we had good, really good guys like Cameron. He was our sixth man. Um, and then Drake got, you know, Andre Ball was uh, potentially really good. You know, at times he had some highlights, but um, I think it was our advantage to have some of these guys, you know, not come out of the game. And just lastly, going back to that uniqueness, um, man, people don't know how much we ran uh conditioning wise you know preseason during this season to keep these guys you know you know mentally engaged and focused like we we ran the crap out of these guys i've never been a part of a team college high school where we've run these guys so much and they were just they were literally built for it yeah, that you could see that in the in the way you guys uh, progressed, got better. It started seeing like toward the second half of the season that you know there was going to be that meant that many, not that many more close games, coach. It, you started getting that feeling that you guys coming together, you figured it out right. how to play with five and a half, six guys basically. Um, right. Talk a little bit about the job Onyeka did against like a Bam Adebayo. Uh, other big guys, because obviously that would, if you're playing these teams, Onyeka's going to have to play his butt off as a 14 year old right. against, you know, uh, Mac Tarangi, against Dayron Sharp, but, you know, these guys, these teams that are big and have multiple guys up front. So talk a little bit right. about how he did that and what, what you maybe told him or what he told you 
that said, you know, I right. got that you were confident that he could do it as a 14 year old. Right. So in the summer, we noticed that, um, you know, he was actually coming off the bench. We had two uh, senior forwards ahead of him, you know, Shane Hopkins, who was the six, nine beast. And then we had a kid named Chad Smith, who's been, who was in the program, a six, seven kid who uh, was pretty skilled. And um, we, you know, Shane goes down with the ACL and Chaz, we, we ended up having to let go during right, right at the beginning of the season. Um, and so Onyeka, we saw glimpses in the summer, how he would just be in the right spot at the right time. He was a baby. I mean, but he would make these really just smart plays. You know, he never overdid things and kept the ball high and, you know, would tip it in and, you know, just always made, you know, just the right play. And so I remember um, there, uh, there are two factors that really, I think, made, made this season so special for us uh, and for him. Um, I think, you know, the fact that we ran so darn much, he, 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 he was in the beginning the last one. Like we would have to run again because, he would have make these lines. I mean, we had a college length court and we would cut the, you know, the, the, the single at nine and they would have to make it, you know, past the free throw line by nine seconds. And so he, he wouldn't make it, you know, and so we would have to run again and we were just relentless. And so for bait, like he was literally a baby and for him to have that conditioning, we, he developed it during the season athletically, and that was huge for us. And then for him, I just remember right before um, we go to uh, the city of Palm and, you know, we're, we're, you know, running, you know, some five on O and we pass it to O and Onyeka lays it up. And I just stop everything. And I just say, dude, you know what you're going up against next week. You know, these are dudes that are just, they're, they're going to bang the crap out of that. You know, you need to play like one of those dudes next week. You can't be laying it up. And, um, and so he, he literally grew up that week um, playing against Bam Adebayo. But the biggest game for us was um, against Patrick, uh, the Patrick school, where he made keep defensive play after de- defensive play, like late in the last, uh, one of the last, uh, stretch. Uh, I mean, one of the last plays down the stretch, he could have. He made this unbelievable read where somebody was beat up top, and he could have. Normally, most people would have just drawn to you know help on the on the ball handler, but he kind of cat and mouse you know the the situation, and he makes the ball handler pick it up, and the ball handler is lobbing it to their forward, and he drops back and is able to knock the ball out and. Had, had we don't win that game if it wasn't for that play and so after that game their coach the former Rutgers coach Dave Rice comes up to me and says hey your your star is on you <laughs> you know and the ball brothers are great but it was oh that saved you guys and a hundred percent no doubt that uh Onyeka was amazing that 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 season for us Steve another key guy for you was obviously Elijah Scott who transferred over from Upland uh, prior mm-hmm. to his sophomore year. He played JV as a freshman at Upland. He right. was old and eligible as a sophomore for Chino Hills, correct? Right. Yeah. So his, his junior year with you, um, 
is that 35 and 0 season, his first varsity experience. Uh, discuss his progression as a player and, you know, what he brought to you as like an energy guy, hustle guy. He did a little bit of everything, man. Right. No, he, Eli, I tell you, you know, we don't have that type of year and people, you know, really think it's all talent um, that wins you these type of games and has, you know, these type of seasons, but you, you need to have one factor, which is chemistry. And um, not only chemistry, you have to identify your role and master your role, you master your position. And that's what our guys did, like unselfishly. You know, they knew who the shooters and the scorers were. They knew who the, you know, the playmaker was. They knew who the first option, second option, who they, they knew when they needed to come through as their third, fourth, fifth options. And so we, we kept it simple and we literally just mastered, you know, um, our strengths and what we we're good at, what we we're trying to accomplish. And so if Eli was selfish, like a normal kid, and he pouted because he didn't get the ball initially, you know, and he, he was entitled, you know, we don't have that year. But because he was just the most unselfish kid, you know, the toughest kid, you know, just did the dirty work, we're able to do, you know, what we were able to do that year. Steve, last question for you before we let you go. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. confidence, the confidence scale, 1 to 10, 10 being the most, how confident are you that um, your Chino Hills team, you know, beats the rest, the, the other three teams on this list? I'm, I got to be at a probably like a 10 because, you know, this, this whole season, this whole team simply just uh, made me uh, a believer of anything impossible. And so, um, you know, I got to go with the 10. Coach Bake, we appreciate your time, man. Thank you, Coach. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. And Devin, as you can see, everybody's confident in their abilities, what they as can they do, should. as they should be. And, and I think Coach Harry kind of really put it out there like, yeah. we doubt what we're going to do. You know, I, I, obviously, Steve is a, a guy that is, uh, you know, he, he's – He's not overly cocky about it. He's, 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 he's quietly confident. That's how he carried himself. And he's got to believe because of where they started from. Like, you know, they weren't number one preseason. You know, they just kept building and building. And to win with basically five guys, that's that's pretty amazing. And now I think we have on Coach Boyle from Montverde Academy. And, uh, Coach, are you there? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Yep. We can hear you. Thank you, Thank you for uh, coming on. So we've kind of went through the gauntlet. We've talked to the other Jeff McGinnis. We talked to Coach Smith. We talked to Herman Herman Harry about his 83 Dunbar team. And I know you know quite a bit about all these teams a bit. So, you know, what's your take on these other teams and 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 in comparison to your team in terms of just maybe the differences of, of, of ball now compared to 30, 40 years ago and you know why your team and you're confident in your team? Well, it's hard, obviously, to compare different eras, especially when you're going back 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. You know, the game changes, the style has changed, so sometimes it's fun to compare, but maybe hard to compare. Um, and, you know, the programs you mentioned are all really strong. I mean, Steve, uh, you know, uh, did a great job with, you know, Chino and 
Steve Smith's always been a very good friend of mine. He's done a terrific job at Oak Hill. And I didn't know Coach Wade. I didn't have the opportunity to meet him. But obviously Dunbar had, you know, a real strong run for, you know, a decade or so where they were, you know, well-known throughout the basketball world, you know, and had a lot of accomplishments. So all those teams, you know, uh, were terrific without question, you know. And um, I, I just think, you know, when you're looking at uh, our team this year, you know, obviously we had a lot of things. We checked a lot of boxes, you know. One, I think we were the only team. Well, Chino Hills had a player of the year, and we had a player of the year. I think the other teams had – I don't think they had a national player of the year. I think Rashi Wallace was the one year – and I don't think in, in um, I don't think the other team, I think both of you are somebody else's player of the year. We had two first team All-Americans, first five. So, you know, I don't, nobody else had that. We had three, uh, three of top 12 players. Nobody even had, you know, nobody had more than two of the top 25. So if this was an NBA team, you would say you have a first team, two first team All-Pros and a third team All-Pro. The other teams have a first and maybe a fifth team All-Pro. It, it would be, you know, the, the conversation would probably end there in, in basketball people's minds of if, if the years of talent were similar, you know. Uh, yeah. you know. So I think our high-level talent, based on what they were awarded, is undisputable. Now, you could say with the errors different or those things, of course, but based on, yes, you did have a player of the year, yes, you did, did have two first-team all-players, first-team all-five, and you did have three in the top 12, which is, you know, the first time Nike Hoop Summit has had that, from an American group was, was that was, was, was with us. And they also had ESPN had, you know, I think number one, four or three, four and 11 uh, in their particular thing. You know, so we also had Moses Moody, who was, if you go to the 20, it's 2022 or 2023 mock draft right now, he's in the first round. If you go to the, if you go to the 2023 mock draft right now, the first pick is Caleb Houston. Our, our other starter. And both of those guys, Houston and M- Moses Moody, are known as incredible shooters. So you check the size box, you check the rebounding box with Dayron Sharp going to Carolina and Scotty Barnes and Cade as a point guard rebounding. You check, you know, incredible shooting with those two guys. You check the ability to switch on defense with versatility so people can't run plays against you. So you've checked a lot of boxes and off the bench, you have Jarek Whitehead, who was seventh in that mock draft of 2023 currently. You have Langston Love, who's got Villanova and Kansas and Texas and Texas A&M and nine, 19 other scholarships in the backcourt. You have uh, Seb Jackson going to Michigan in the backcourt. And you have, you know, uh, Ryan Nemhart, top 75, that's got Seton Hall and a bunch of other schools. Uh, and we have a kid, Michael Wu, who just got Eastern Washington to say, you know, to just with that team alone, plus we've had other guys, but you don't usually go much deeper than that. So you know, I think in, in the, the numbers where guys were ranked, the, the number of McDonald's All-American, again, we have at least two more, if not three more from that team. We already had three. Dismiss Moody, you'll probably get Whitehead and Caleb Houston and could get Langston up, you know, so from the yeah. same team. The other teams can't match up with that based on what happened. You know, yeah. So that, that's, I think that's factual there. The other thing is we clearly played a much better schedule than those teams. They played competitive schedules, but, you know, Oak Hill that year, uh, I know they had, you know, they beat St. John's by 14, 63, 49, a good, very good team, or a good Rice team, 57, 42. 
And then their next two biggest wins was Mirror of California by 12 and Huntington by 10, you know, and, and a very low score in 58-72, 57-63 in those games and competitive games. Again, two of them not even in the top 25. I think Huntington was in the region, but, you know, not even top 25 teams. And then, with, you know, you look at Dunbar, they played Martin Luther King to a five-point game. Bay Village to a 14-point game, Wallbrook to a 12-point game. I mean, these are teams that, you know, uh, two of the three we probably wouldn't even put on the schedule, um, yeah. you know, because uh, they wouldn't be in our top 25 scheduling teams. And when you look at our schedule, you know, when you look at – and you look at Chino had a great team, but they had four games they could have lost, you know, mm-hmm. and they were terrific. But they also had, you know, guys, when it's all said and done, they have re- really great players. But two of them were freshmen at that age. You know, they were very good for freshmen, incredible for freshmen. But they still were not when you match it up of, you know, the, the other ball brother and, and the, 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 the big freshman against, you know, senior Scotty Barnes and the senior Dayron Sharp, you know, and then Cade versus Lonzo is a push. And the other positions are all you're talking about, even Moses against uh, – uh, Lamelo, who's you know a great player and going to be a terrific pro. I love I love Lonzo Ball. I love watching him, but you know just because of the age more than anything and the depth more than anything, it was just it would have been a really difficult matchup on paper. You know, yeah. uh, you know. So I think i you know again it's a paper thing I'm talking about, but on paper I think it's really clear if it's a basketball educated person to say that's you know it's hard to argue the schedule. It's hard to argue that the talent size. And the rankings of the players, they're all what they are, you know, Correct. so that, that's, that's why, you know, uh, if, if you were hiring a good lawyer, I don't think it'd be a real hard case to prove. Yeah. Coach, Coach you got, you got me. I'm on board. I, I pick Montvert. I, I got <laughs> Montvert. You got me. I, you got yeah. me. Hire him for about 50 bucks an hour. But <laughs> folks, let's talk a little bit about, um, like you said, the differences. Now, obviously Dunbar is playing what they can do. Uh, at that time, they're a public school. They 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 jumped into two national tournaments at the time that what they can schedule because they didn't play that the year before, and and they just had a, a feeling that that Bob Wade made them work hard. And then you go to Steve Smith, Jeff McGinnis played um, travel ball with Jerry Stackhouse and a couple other guys, so they felt the chemistry was good. And then with Chino Hills, the the brothers played well together. Why did this team work for you this year? chemistry-wise compared to those other three teams, why they work? Well, I mean, I think they work for the reasons you talked about. Obviously, you have a great player in McGinnis and Stackhouse and, and yeah. terrific coach and Steve. And, you know, they had a good chemistry because, you know, I guess the unselfishness of a McGinnis being the guy who had the ball a lot. Uh, then, you know, obviously when you have Dunbar, I mean, you know, Bogues was just terrific. And Reggie Williams and Reggie Lewis and, and Hermit, they were all, you know, they have a t- terrific, terrific team. I, I really have great respect for Hermit and, you know, just a terrific guy and coach himself uh, and, and competitive. So I know they were, you know, they would no, they were never going that easy to anybody in that group where they competed. You know? And then the Bulls, obviously, you have a family there, you know, that grew up together, that was molded together, that had a special chemistry and played to, to their credit. They play, and Steve's credit coach, they played a very different style. It's very hard to get adjusted in a one-game scenario for them because they played very unconventional, uh, almost a little Loyola Marymount type of, you know, get it out and go. Lonzo's ability to throw touchdown passes to his brother, you know, were just uh, phenomenal. So they, they, you know, you, you had to really, if you didn't really scout the hell out of them, which I know 
we lost to him that year by one with, you know, with a team that we had that was, you know, a good team, but not one of the better Mount Bird teams in the last nine years, probably our seventh best team in the last nine years. And, you know, it took us a while to get adjusted, you know, because they got out, they got off quick because they came at you out of the gate, you know, just terrifically and got the ball out and, and so forth and, and took shots. You didn't think guys were going to take from the distance they took them and, and just confident and, and LaMelo kind of just running past you when you were driving. Sometimes and going the other way was, you know, something that you really had to get used to defensive balance wise to be able to, to do that. So, you know, that would be also interesting if that could have been sustained this series with, with teams, you know, when they adjusted to that, um, you know, type of thing. But um, the, the other, um, you know, with us, one of the, one, one, you know, I don't know, I, I don't have this, we, we play most of our games away. And like I was saying with schedule before, you know, in your preseason poll, we beat number one IMG by eight, 12 and 21. And the last two games were in the 20s and in the 30 at one point, you know, and then you beat a number two at one point, the Matha up by 33 here. Uh, you were up by number three, the Apache school by 45, number four, Matichin by 40. And they were overrated, but still they were number four at one point by like 40 and 50. Number eight, Long Island Lutheran by over 30, number 12, Scotlandville by over 30, and number 20, Dunbar, uh, Duncanville by over 30 in their gym. You know, so you have an incredible uh, record for top five teams, top 10 teams, and top 25 teams. Like I said, when, you know, uh, Chino played more, but with Dunbar and O'Kill, I think they both played two teams that were ranked in the top 25. Um, you know, so again, not getting nearly as many bullets thrown at you where you could slip and lose, you know, and, and that's the way we've always tried to do it, back to the St. Pat days of getting 10 to 15 teams a year. But the chemistry question was, Scotty Barnes, brought such chemistry because he was so unselfish. He's just, you know, to me, you know, Cade's won some of the national player of the years, and, you know, that was valid and earned and well-earned. Well but Scotty could argue that he was the most valuable player in high school in his sense to guard almost any position, you know, from the one to the five. He's guarding Springer, and then he's also guarding Dickerson from Damascus at seven foot. So he's guarding a point guard in one game and a seven-foot guy three games earlier. You know, his ability to switch, his, his intensity in practice every day. He can rebound. He can handle the ball against pressure so nobody can pressure you guys and help, as it helps. So, and the, the thing with us, we played Duncanville there. In a, one of the, I think it was the first game of the year. We had 40 field goals and 31 assists. And yeah. that became something that was amazing for the year. A lot of games, we had three out of four field goals assisted. You know, so that was really amazing. And almost all the games were on the road. So it wasn't our home statistics it was most of these statistics are on the road that are out there in the street that you can look up and say wow they had more than half or many times they had three or four baskets assisted the ability to not care who scored was really incredible for the guys based on you look at our averages to the players yeah uh coach you mentioned that like you mentioned scotty and he, he's so versatile and i think that's what dunbar felt they had in mugsy even though reggie williams is like a one of the best players in the country that mugsy was their catalyst their team MVP, um, you know, obviously he's he's a smaller player. Uh, what do you think about this COVID-19 and this coronavirus? Obviously, you want to play as many good teams as you did, you know, at least 12 of them that were nationally ranked. You know, did you fail to take away anything by not being able to go to Geico? Did you want to see your team pushed back to back to back potentially? Like, did it, did it rob them of playing their best potentially or no? Did they play up to their potential? 
Well, I mean, I think we played up to our potential because yeah. we won by average of 40 points. So yeah. I think we, we played, you know, there was one game that we were up 13 late. We won by eight against yeah. the, the preseason number one team or number two team, depending on the poll at IMG, who, by the way, had six guys that have hit, you know, that, that will either be in the McDonald's game or have been in the draft board at some, already. You know, so it's you're not just beating a team. You're beating a team that's yeah. six guys by those type of margins when you're trying to compare you know, who you're playing against in a different era, you know, so you're talking about incredible size, incredible talent in that team. And, you know, that was just the, you know, the chemistry again, you know, there's years we've, we haven't been that team this year. I thought we were that team that everything fell into place, but, uh, you know, we played a number of back-to-back big games, um, you know, that we play a back-to-back-to-back, you know, but again, you know, this year we probably would have gotten that because we were going to play prolific in the first round, but, you know, I, I just think, again, you know, it's it would have been, you know, uh, what it is. You know, I, I, the, we, we already played the, you know, arguably the best two teams at IMG and DeMatha, definitely the best two talented teams. Um, you know, Prolific had a couple of good players, you know, two very good players, uh, but I didn't think they were quite in a level. I watched them a few times on the same level of DeMatha or IMG um, when, I, when I seen them live. You know, they were a very good team. But, you know, that, that uh, you know, uh, would have, you know, just the style they play would have been difficult for them to stay in the game. It, you know, uh, a lot of one-on-one, a lot of pull-up jump shots. You know, that would have been, led to a lot of transition for us, in, in our opinion. Yeah, I just think yeah. that maybe Geico, I was telling Devin that people really didn't get a chance to see how good Caleb Houston was and maybe a couple other complimentary players. That would have really showed on a national stage that, that how good some of the depth was. Um, you know, did you think that this was going to, that did you see this really early in the season or did it just kind of build? Um, well, it, it kind of, you know, pretty, pretty early. We, oh, you know, we were very good. I didn't know we were this good, you know, in the sense of just, you know, crushing everybody and, you know, seemingly, uh, just turning it on when, you know, pretty much, I shouldn't even say turning it on. It was almost always turned on. But we had great we had great practices. We had great work ethic. Dayron Sharp and Scotty Barnes, two guys who transferred in, just had tremendous work ethic and competitiveness, and and a length and love. And then the guys that we had there already, you know, you had such balance. And again, people don't know how good Caleb Houston is. Like I just said in the NBA mock draft 2023, they had him as the first pick. Now that might be high, but to me, I've been saying to people, he's Joey Harris. He's going to have a long NBA career because he's an incredible, he's as good a shooter as there is in high school basketball. He makes every, you know, every time he shoots 25 from a spot, it's 22 to 25. And then Moses Moody was that way. And I think Cade shot like 46% from three this year. So your perimeter shooting was, you know, tremendous. Your size with Cade at 6'7", Moses at 6'6", Scotty at 6'8", Caleb at 6'8 and Dayron at 6'10". And almost you, almost, you switch at least one to four. Day run at the end of the year was even switching on guards. You know, so it was hard for anybody to run a play and get an advantage with a screen or a ball screen because it was easy to switch if we had to. And you were there at such size and athleticism. You know, so it was it was really difficult. And we and it was hard to turn us over because we had really good ball handling and we had the, the big guys who could pass in Day Run and Scotty. You know, so even if you pressed us and you had to use those guys to help, they were great passers out of it. You know, so it became just a really, uh, just a really balanced team, and, and great attitude, and role understanding, and guys brought in. There was there was just no jealousy. Of I mean, Scotty Barnes didn't make all tournament team in North Carolina, which is a, one of the biggest mysteries of the world. 
how he wasn't in the all-tournament team. It was incredible. I thought he might have been the MVP. He didn't make it. I didn't know for like two days, and somebody said, you know, could you believe Scotty didn't make it? I'm like, I thought he was, I thought he made it. And, but I was with him that night, eating with him after the game, and you would have never knew he didn't make it. You know, and, and again, a lot of kids would have complained about it, or maybe it's not worth it, me getting 10 points and, and sharing the ball here. I should get 20. I'm not getting recognized. But never said a peep. And he, he actually many times said he didn't care where he was ranked or who ranked him. He was just playing. You know, he didn't, he didn't really go, he didn't really get off on, you know, different rankings. And if he was number two or 11 or 26, you know, he was going to compete regardless. You know, it didn't, didn't really sway him like it does a lot of us and a lot of kids. Coach, we're closing out every guest by asking them on a scale of one to ten, ten being most confident, um, how confident you would be in your team matching up against these other three teams. But I'm pretty sure you are at a ten. Am I right? Well, I mean, again, I think it's you know it's, it's like the coronavirus. We we really should uh, make our decisions based on science, and if you make your decisions based on logic, player rankings, um, you know, schedule. And, you know, uh, the amount of point difference in the best five teams you played, there really isn't, you know, you couldn't have a logical dispute of who was the best team. Um, you know, you could say with your heart that you think they would have won, they would have found a way. But, you know, mathematically, it's, it's uh, to me, it's uh, pretty clear. Yeah, Coach, we appreciate your time and all the knowledge you brought to the discussion. Um, best of luck to you uh, in the future and, and stay, stay safe and healthy. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Coach. Ronnie, there's definitely a, there's there's definitely no question um, yeah. uh, in Coach Boyle's mind as to why yeah. and how and how confident he is um, in, in this team to to beat every other team. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, don't blame know, him. His, I like that he has his argument. You know, he has his point. He was ready. He was ready. Well, yeah, and he's using you know, hey, Ronnie, your rankings. We beat this team. We beat this team. Um, Devin, what do you take from all four, and, and, and we'll count Jeff as, you know, part of Oak Hill, four guests, and obviously five, but what was the common factor there, and what stood out to you from what those gentlemen said? I think the common factor was each of these teams had an inherent chemistry, Yeah. even though they were all different. They all had some sort of connection, right? So yeah. you had – you have Oak Hill with McGinnis and yeah. Stackhouse playing on the same club team. And then uh, yeah. I believe uh, another another player, I forget, I forget his name, but yeah. another player who started was also uh, on that club team with McGinnis and Stackhouse. And then you have Dunbar where guys came in and they, they understood the pecking order and they knew, yeah. you know, that in practice everyone was going to get better. And then, you know, there, there were the certain guys who were going to be the guys and there were guys yeah. who were complementary pieces and those pieces were replaced every year. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of like a uh, an all-encompassing program type of style. Then yeah. you have Geno Hills, which was built on a style of play and yeah. pieces put into spots where they're going to be most effective. And the unique quality of that team, it was difficult, like Coach Boyle said, to prepare for them. He yeah. had to prepare for them that year. And I guess he, he did the best. They yeah. lost by one. Yeah, they got behind early. Yeah. You can't recover if you get behind early against against that Chino Hills team. So that team was built on – and that team, for the majority of that team, played club together. Eli, uh, Lonzo, Jello, and Mello, big O played for the Compton Magic. But the four other starters, they played club together. So they played year-round. Um, and then the Mont the Montverde team this year had a bunch of selfless guys like a Scotty yeah. Barnes, a Cade Cunningham, le- low egos, 
great players, but low egos. So yeah. I think it was all the reason why all these teams are, are in this mix and on this list, Ronnie, is because they all had a, a certain chemistry, even though those chemistries were different. Yeah, I agree with you. They all made some some pointed uh, arguments. You can kind of see where they're coming from, too. You know, Bake is uh, with Chino Hills a little more reserved. That's just his nature. But I know he's a confident guy. And, and they built that, you know, uh, over the course of the year. Uh, Steve Smith, that's about as uh, kind of like just straight to the point as I've heard him in a while. Like, he thinks that team is really good. Yeah. You know, they're big. Uh, and they can do a lot of different versi- versatile things. Uh, you can see where Herman Harry's coming from. He's obviously taking on the personality of that time in Baltimore. Uh, Baltimore was getting over a tough time in terms of like socioeconomics in the seventies and late sixties. Kids are tough, man. You weren't tough. If you were not, you, you weren't going to be weak on that team. You know, even the, I would imagine even some of the, the bench warmers on that team were just ridiculously good players. And they did, they were, they were D one players, you know? And then you got like the modern team in Montverde where they all know their ranking. They all know their status, that type of thing. And, and they all made it work together. I think Scotty Barnes is, is a big piece of that. Just like Bogues, uh, Jeff McGinnis. And, and I guess Lonzo would be, uh, you know, Lonzo would be the guy that kind of kept it together. um, You know, but those, those guys you mentioned, those guys you mentioned Bogues, um, uh, Barnes, yeah. I, I guess I would put Eli Scott yeah. in that superstar glue guy yeah. role. Yeah, and That's what all these teams had. They had a superstar yeah. kind of player. Like if Eli Scott stays at Upland, Ronnie, and yeah. plays local schedules and uh, develops his skill set, he'd average 35 points and 27 rebounds. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Yeah. And he would probably might not be at LMU excelling. You know? Right. I mean, he might be a D2 uh, power forward. Right. But you uh, had – you had you have a bunch of guys that you mentioned on these teams yeah. who were stars in their own right, but willing to accept you know lesser roles at the high school level to benefit the team and then benefit themselves long term. Yeah, and I think that's where it shows it benefits themselves long term. You just look at the raw numbers. You know, Dunbar had eleven D ones. Oak Hill had nine out of basically nine. Chino Hills had seven. Like you said, Cam and Andre Ball eventually became D ones, even though they didn't really play that much on that team per se. Especially Andre got hurt. And Cam it hasn't been – this whole story hasn't been told. He possibly has 12 D1 players on that team, but they right. haven't got there. They're obviously going to be D1 players. They just – they're younger, Caleb Houston. They're sophomores, yeah. yeah, they're sophomores, and, and they're current players. So, uh, you know, I think that's the bottom line is maybe besides Chino Hills, they all have that ridiculous victory margin. They all have multiple D1s on the bench, maybe even an NBA player on the bench, and and multiple NBA players. Uh, I think if you look at uh, Coach, what Coach Boyle said is he makes sense. And I've written this on, on the BallsLife.com story is high school basketball is getting better all the time. I'm sure there's some teams on Dunbar's schedule that wouldn't even be in the mix now compared to a team now, right? They're bigger, yeah. they're better. Um, so I get what he's saying. And I think they have a strongest and maybe the strongest argument from how good they were in a bracket. Like you would say, bracket it out, seed it, see they might be the favorite. Uh, maybe over 83 Dunbar or Oak Hill. Um, then when you talk about the great, where they stand the test of time, it's really hard to knock Dunbar. They're going to stand the test of time, not only because there's footage of them, there's a 30 for 30, but because of what the players did. 
You know, Reggie Williams won the NCAA title the next year. Muggsy's played in the NBA for a long time. Reggie played in the NBA for a long time. And Muggsy played in the NBA for a long time. That's just, wow. Like, you look at it, that's going to be hard on them to knock. So you don't know where this Montverde team is going to end up 15 or 20 years. And I think that's one thing where it boils. Like, saying, well, look at our schedule. Well, when Dunbar was playing back then, they weren't thinking, well, guess what? In 40 years, somebody's going to compare our schedule to some of these other teams. Like, right. they're just playing the schedule they, they could. And they, they played a national schedule for that time. So I wouldn't knock them too much. In that regard, uh, I think in a bracket style, I think maybe Montverde would be the slight favorite. I, I, I think it would come down to them or Oak Hill. I don't know what you think, Devin, but as far as greatness, I, I, I wouldn't knock uh, Dunbar until you see what this Montverde team does 10 years down the line. Yeah, it's tough for me because obviously I've only seen two of the four teams. Yeah, and I've seen uh, – yeah, not I didn't see Dunbar. I wasn't I mean, I've seen the Dunbar 30 for 30, but that doesn't help yeah. me develop a, a sense of how good they were or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, and I get the star power of McGinnis and, yeah. and Stackhouse. And obviously Stackhouse, if you take him at the high school level and put him in high school now, he doesn't he – doesn't, he's dominant, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, the style of play with, with Chino Hills in a one-off game, Yeah. that's really tough to prepare for, like yeah. Steve Bates and like, like Coach Boyle said. I yeah. think Chino Hills, while maybe not the favorite, yeah. is that team that could – that could really one on one in a one game uh, setting. Yeah. Game setting any gym, yeah. they're probably the most deadly team, I think, just based on style of play and how difficult it is to prepare for them. Yeah. Um, let's put you on the spot right now. Give me your your out of the four, the top team, and then give me the, the rest of the pecking order, two, three, and four. Yeah, if you're putting me on the spot. I think as a high school team in a and a and a in a bracket, um, and a seed, I, I would go Montverde. We get the number one seed. Uh, two, three wouldn't matter because it would be uh, Dunbar playing Oak Hill, and then Chino Hills would have to play Montverde. You know, I mean, they're, they're the fourth seed. I think they wouldn't argue with that, you know. Um, who would win? Uh, boy, that would be tough. Uh, I think it would be tough because that Montverde team played Chino Hills pretty tough. I think this team would be more prepared. They're a little better, you okay. know. Obviously, than yeah. the team was three years ago. Uh, uh, Pickham would be between Oak Hill and, and and Dunbar. It's hard to go against Dunbar, but I think Oak Hill's too big. Okay, I just think they're big. they they can go small or big. They can put Stackhouse to the four. Sure, Mars I mean, Johnson is six seven. Alexander's is six eight, and they're not small. They're 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 not thin. You know, that yeah, yeah, yeah. guy is big. Just yeah. a big guy like Dayron Sharp. So it'd be hard to beat them, like you said, in some gym somewhere. Uh, it's hard to bet. It's hard to go up against Muggsy and those guys. But I mean, if, if you know, again, the size, you know, what do you do? So then you match up Oak Hill and Montverde. That's another pickup game. I would yeah. say um, it, it would obviously we're just hypothesizing here. It would be a great game. I just don't know what if Scotty Barnes, you know, he's going to have to try to slow down McGinnis or Stackhouse or help out inside. You know what do you do with Stackhouse? Because Stackhouse has free reign. You're gonna put, you're gonna put Sunshine on on uh, Moses Moody. That's a that's a pick 'em. You know you're gonna put McGinnis against Kate Cunningham. Maybe Kate Cunningham has more size and maybe he's a little better. You know, but what do you what do you, where do you go with? It's all comes down to Barnes and Stackhouse. Like how does that work? Like yeah. said, Stackhouse is a great player. Uh, right. And he was like a. Player. 15 time, 15 like year yeah. NBA guy yeah. who averaged double figures every year. 
yeah, yeah, you know, he can play. And like, and so it, they got size and multiple size on the bench. So yeah. I, I would say they would be a slight favorite in the game, but there's no doubt that that Mont Brody can play with them. You yeah. know, and, and I don't know, you, you might think that Chino Hills might get out ahead and beat Mont Brody, you know, or maybe you'd see them different. So, no, I think, I think the seed, I mean, as yeah. far as I know, I think the seeds are probably right. But again, yeah. like, I think it's a, it's a toss up game for every single matchup yeah. mentioned or any, any type of way you can flip it around seating wise. It's a, it's a toss up game, which is why all of uh, all these guys are, are on this list, you know? Yeah. Oh, definitely. And as we close it out, you know, we want to say, yeah, we're trying to give some hard pointing facts about them. We want people to know more about them, which I hope that was the point of this is to know more about, especially Oak Hill and Dunbar to know more about them, like how good they were. And I hope that we're not trying to sit here making betting and making predictions. That wasn't the point. And, you know, that they're all So then the, the old point is, I think, is on paper, Montverde has a lot of strong arguments, but you yeah. got to see down the line what they what they become. And then people will one day put them in that same breath as as, as the Dunbar team, which is the oldest team on this list. Yeah, it's it's tough to compare eras. It's tough to compare teams from different eras, but it's always fun doing it. And we appreciate you guys listening into the debate. And, and uh, you know, we appreciate all the guests coming on, the, the coaches and players who uh, were uh, parts of, you know, big parts of these teams. Um, and if you guys want to hear any other episode that we've done, you know, number one through 62, you can find us on the various streaming platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, um, soundcloud spotify we're all over there um, we appreciate you guys listening in with us each and every week but until next week ronnie and devin are signing off